because she liked to be told how young she looked. Oh, in that case, so she would I'm actually, 80. Yeah, you're 80. You look really great for 80. <laughs> so welcome to Monday, November 27th, Solid Ground live stream, 40 something. I'll add the number later when I look it up and see what number we're on. I think it's like 45 or something. I think it's either 45 or 46. That's my best okay. guess. Yeah. We got to, I'm not keeping great track of this, but, but I have a, I can figure it out. And I hope you both had a good Thanksgiving. It's um, such an important holiday to my, to me. And it's funny sometimes when I talk to people who are in other countries, I forget that it's not important everywhere. It's just an American thing, but <laughs> yeah, but I certainly love it. Deborah, you want to start us off with the, what is Solid Ground? Yeah. I can remember, Solid Ground is a peer support community for people whose lives have been impacted, whether it's their workplace, their children's school, their church, um, other sectors of their life by critical social justice, um, COVID mandates, and any other forms of sort of authoritarianism. Um, We hold support groups currently three times a week. um, And these are, you know, peer support groups. Um, if you want to, what is the address for that? If you want to join us, you can go to solidground.org. Solidgroundsupport.org. We um, charge $5 a month for participating in the support groups. And the other thing we always say is this does not, wait, it's not legal advice or uh, psychotherapy. psychotherapy advice and should not be construed as such. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excellent. I always miss David's accent when, when somebody says I know, that. It's not, I know, it's not the same without our little Brit. I know. I hope he's doing well with his studies. We miss him. Um, so speaking of Thanksgiving, I I was kind of wondering what you guys were thinking around this, but it's, it's such an interesting time of year. It seems like the holidays are a time for not only celebration of tradition, but also reflection on loss and reflection on the quality of our connections in our lives. And the last few years have been really difficult for a lot of families because there's been so much polarization in the culture around lots of things. Like if you you could start with COVID, that seemed to set, I don't know, I think it probably started before that, but COVID sort of accelerated this process of polarization and drove people apart in a major way. We saw a lot of fracturing in families, even among close friends and family members over, over the distancing regulations and how people felt about different aspects of lockdown. And, and then moving into social justice, we've seen how the, the social justice ideology really does train young people to separate from their families if they don't accept all parts of this. And, and I know I've talked with people who've gotten horrible letters from their kids detaching and, and, and have been shut out and have had their kids completely blacklist them because they're they're they've gone off to college and now they think a different way and they think of their parents as bigots because they're part of an old world ideology and so for those reasons and for many others like in my case divorce i i my kids i spent this thanksgiving without my my kids for the first time in i in 28 years i've never had a thanksgiving without my with, without my children and my, my older kids were off doing things and my younger kids were with their dad's family. <clears throat> and so I, I don't know, it just seems like a lot comes up around this time of year. I wonder 
what, what's that been like for you? And what are your thoughts on that as a cultural phenomenon in general? <laughs> don't everybody rush at once <laughs> it's interesting I'm noticing I don't want to say too much about my own family I feel mm-hmm. a little bit like I I don't I don't want to go into it that much um for their own just privacy um mm-hmm. but I do would broad say strokes that, yeah I would say that I am in a different information universe than they are mm-hmm. um that's an interesting but- way to put it yeah. Yeah. So that just, my views are probably different on almost every matter at this mm-hmm. point. And that causes some distress to my mother. I, I know uh, they decided this year, they just, they said, we're not talking about anything about politics or the news, but I found that left us with very little. Uh, it was more mm-hmm. like, uh, what did you eat? Or we, we started planning Christmas during Thanksgiving. What are we going to eat? And that you know you so were it was, superficial it, yeah yeah it ended up that there weren't topics the one thing that was very interesting was you could see just the way these little things slip in um my I have an aunt who's probably in her she's in her late 70s I forget and it's not like she would be she probably reads the New York Post she would not be wrestling looking at you know left-wing media and she said something about what's well, really terrible how we treated the Native Americans like we're sitting at the table and it just, I was like, I just didn't, I just didn't really expect that out of her, you know? And cause it's not like she's sitting there absorbing, you know, those types of things, you know, we kind of had a moment. And then my sister said, well, yeah, but they got the casinos. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> cause my aunt likes to gamble. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and I said, and I said something like, well, you know, it's not like they weren't killing each other either <laughs> well that is true that is true and, and then we did get to a discussion of oh how did they come oh it was over the land bridge I was, that, was our, that was our little historical moment and I think somebody else said something that was a little social justice which kind of surprised me and but then that that was it but it was just a little odd blip in the middle <laughs> in the middle of that so and there was a little comment about the booster something like that but that didn't go that didn't go too far um so yeah it left us with not talking about that much we did play scrabble so that was we kind of that was a kind of a normal thing that we do but it just seemed that more and more in general we've all sit there on our phones when i do go there my mom keeps remarking on that yeah but but then my mom's on her ipad you know and so we do i feel like we need to do some work around that like i don't know if people don't know how to have conversation or they're worried it's going to be charged or we would be on our phones anyway um because that people are just all absorbed in them so that's a phenomenon i've been aware of that's yeah that's really uh i i can remember going over to um my sister-in-law's house and they have a really lovely family and it's a, oh, you know, at the holidays, there's a big gathering and it's really nice, just really warm and nice. Everybody comes in and, um, but there are moments where everybody's sitting in the room and everybody's on their phone and there's something really jarring about that. You know, instead of connecting, you're all off. What are you doing? What is happening? That's of more substance than what you could be doing right here. And I think also maybe to some extent when you're watching each other's feeds, like you're seeing the Facebook and you're seeing the Instagram and whatever, you kind of know so much already that there's less to catch up on. Like it feel, have you ever, have you ever had that happen where you're, 
you see a friend that, or a family member that you haven't seen in a while, but you know what they had for breakfast yesterday and you know, like that they got a new dog, yes. and you know, all these things about them. And it kind of feels weird. Like you want to ask, so what's your life been like, but you kind of already know a little bit. It's, it's a really weird space. Like how, how much am I supposed to know that I know and how much, where do we jump in on this? Does something kind of unnatural. Yeah. Highly, highly unnatural. It's really weird when you think about it. I feel like I'm, um, I'm just aware of how dependent I am on my phone. And some of it is for, you know, actual business reasons. Then that's, um, I think, fair. But I also am just chronically filling up space by checking my phone, looking at my phone. And it, it definitely, I think, is breaking down human connection to the people we're actually with. And, and now I have a lot of clients coming in where a lot of their arguments are revolving around, hey, you're not really spending time with the family. You're always on your phone. And the other person's like, I was with the kids. Yeah, but you were on your phone the entire time. Mm. I think we're all doing that a lot. Yeah, I think I tend to, I tend to be very skeptical of social media and information technology and these, these communication devices as a force for good. I, I tend to see mm -hmm. the, the bad in them first, and it's a really big bad. I think we have to figure out how to live with these things better. I agree. Who's got the answer? <laughs> <laughs> my family I might try to get us to do more joint although the previous joint activity would be watching television right like so even then it was this mediated experience you know it's like you know because no one knows how to really I don't want to say no one knows how but like somehow it's easier that's some it's like passive like it doesn't take like energy or something to just sort of watch a game show um, I do like it when we play Scrabble. And then we end up on the phone because then we're people are looking for words that aren't really words um, to play. So they're on their phone. Is this a real word? You know, my sister, <laughs> I found these words. I'm like, that is not a word. <laughs> so even then our phones are there, right? I should say, no, we can only get a real physical dictionary out. Mm -hmm. And we, we're, we're not even going to look that up, you know, mm -hmm. look up on the phone. Mm -hmm. It's too easy and to fall down the rabbit hole when you open the phone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And maybe having just some joint activities. Like, I don't know, we, we're not really a puzzle family. I'm trying to think of things that we might just act. We've done art sometimes together. So we might you know, get our canvases and all mm -hmm. paint or something. There's something that we're. When we're doing. with my dad and his family, we'll go for walks together. Or um, one year we we all played ultimate Frisbee, which was really fun. Big family game of ultimate Frisbee. But it's nice to get out and do energetic things. And my dad sends for Christmas every year, uh, Nerf guns. It just sends us a box of Nerf guns. Cause at, when I was a kid, when I was like a teenager, we would all have Nerf gun battles on Christmas. So that was a big thing to look forward to. Oh my gosh. That sounds like so much fun. Yeah. It's a lot more fun when you have a bunch of people, but it is fun. Yeah. How about you, Jennifer? How are your holidays? Ah. Uh... Um, good. Um, I went to my sister 
my sisters and her boyfriends, they live together, they're partners. Uh, they've been together for like three and a half years or so. It was really nice. Um, and speaking of like family rifts with politics, my uh, husband did not accompany me mm-hmm. um, because he's not been speaking to, I just consider him sort of, I consider my sister's boyfriend, my brother-in-law mm-hmm. essentially. So um, he's not been speaking to him over <laughs> a sort of political tiff that they uh-huh. had. And mm-hmm. so that has been um, essentially dividing the family. So I've been experiencing that. Uh, which has been really, for me, extremely difficult. I really love having the family together. Um, I get this sense of grounding and belonging from it. And so that was difficult. And it's not like we were talking politics over Thanksgiving dinner. We didn't talk about politics at all. We just ate and drank and played charades after. So, Oh, that's fun. It was really nice. Mm, how painful that he couldn't be there to enjoy that. It was actually, it really was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's happening so often right now. This polarization is kind of becoming a way of being. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, I saw so many families having fights that over, um, COVID mm-hmm. and, um, you know, people having different philosophies about it and what they felt safe with and what they didn't feel safe with. And the amount of anger that was happening in families was causing some families just to basically stop speaking to each other for months and months at a time. And, um, I just thought, oh my gosh, that is so sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it, it is, it's really, I, I wonder once something like that's been set into motion, there's this, it, it's sort of contagious. Once you, if you get, I've noticed this in these Twitter wars, you know, where people get so nasty with the way that they're talking to each other. And if somebody directs that at you, it's really difficult to not bounce it right back. It's such a, mm-hmm. de- I think there's an automatic defensive response to that. And that's just, sure. that, that's just a, a superficial example. Cause that's a social media argument, not a family, you know, not somebody you really love, but feeling that I, there seems to be some sort of emotional contagion when it comes to these, these kinds of modes of interaction. And so how does this play out in a way that people can, can put those things aside and start focusing on connection again in small ways and in big ways? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, there's a piece, actually, I only skimmed it. So anyone that's on solid ground can go look at it. And if you're not, you can join for $5 a month. Um, one of our members posted an article just on this very issue of, uh, families, you know, being divided and how important the family is as a unit for sort of grounding and for society and for civilian other aspects of it. Like, I'm not remembering exactly if the specifics about what to do, but there was really just this almost admonition to like, please keep your families like intact. Um, 
and sort of the reasons why it was sort of this find the common ground or find something like this is really important. It's, these are both the people that are going to get us the most agitated about anything, and it's, but it's because the bonds are so deep. And so um, I don't, I can't remember this again. I skimmed it, so I'm not remembering the specifics, but it was it was a good um, you know piece on that and the importance of it. And it may be like just thinking of like what are the things that we've always like the Nerf gun, like what are the things we've done as a family that we do know we enjoy um that's that's tradition or um historically has been fun and 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 bonding um and i imagine also like you were saying even going out like activities that are outside the home you, you go to do jointly um in nature or whatever can also be helpful mm-hmm. yeah has it always been like this I mean, we're, I know like when you're a kid, you're kind mm-hmm. of happily oblivious to things, but has it always been that families are having these giant rifts over their views of current events? Yeah. And okay. Not like this. I don't think, I mean, cause even think back to like, well, I wasn't old enough then, but I'm just imagining like, even with the Vietnam war or whatever, people are protesting it. I don't think that massive you know, families were splitting over that. People might go, I'm not going to agree or something, but somehow this stuff is going really down into some like internal emotional crevice or something like in people or wiring in such a way that it's, it's more, it's more disturbing. I don't quite get, I don't quite get the mechanism exactly. It was interesting. I just saw a piece. Um, I think I posted it on solid ground also. Did I, I forget, but it turns out that it's actually mainstream media that is seeming to cause more of the polarization than social media. They did, someone did an analysis on which media sources and they pick, they pulled people on topics to look at the, the polarization split or something like that. And it was actually more like say your MSNBC, MSNBC and Fox viewership of those things were probably more polarizing than people being polarized by their social media inputs. Um, which would mean to me partly that older people, I don't know, because usually older people are looking at those sources. Um, mm. But that doesn't answer the question, but I, I, it hasn't been like this. I mean, well, I, do you think? <laughs> I tend to think a, a, lot, a lot of a lot of things in terms of process versus content or form versus substance, I guess substance versus form. Um, and it, it seems like our culture has become increasingly more informal. And the, forms are breaking down the ways the manners the 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 niceties you know so we've got we're going straight to substance we're going straight to what do you think and it, it makes people think that they're entitled to know what someone else's thoughts are and to judge them in a way that previously you had the top you had the idea that we had certain topics that were off limits for polite company because it's nobody's business what's in your mind about certain things it was like what religion sex money politics or what what were the topics there was something like that Mm -hmm. and now it's like no not only am i entitled to know but i can judge you based on what you think about these things and we're talking about the most untouchable most uh most sensitive things we're putting those up front and I think that the social media process is part of that, whether it's the whether it's the thing that's driving it or not, I don't know, but I think that it it does um, 
it it provides a pathway for that sort of breaking down of formal manners and we see the ugliest things that the ways that people wouldn't have behaved in polite society and that expectation oh sorry go ahead yeah no no i also i as i'm saying this i'm aware of like what what am i thinking of as a reference point is it some idyllic past is it my own past is it something that's been represented to me through media or through my parents but so i mean i guess you go far enough back and where are you putting your reference point but i i'm putting my reference point at something that's more formal well, it's also there's the expectation with the social media that you have a take at all. Like you didn't used to be, if you had an opinion before, <clears throat> maybe you wrote an op-ed, I mean, a letter to the editor, maybe, and maybe it got in, maybe. And now you're even expected to have a take mm-hmm. if you say didn't show your adherence to a particular cause because you changed your picture in your Twitter, right? Like everyone's on you. So there is something about, like you're saying, informal and less privacy in a certain sense. Um, regarding like this demand for your inner hmm. point of view. Deep and social Jennifer. sanction and sanction for it if it's not right. Yeah. I'm wondering what people are doing myself included, if we bring something up that we know is a hot button issue, what are we looking for? Like, is it, are we bringing it up because we are being provocateurs and we want to start a bit of an argument? Are we bringing it up because we want to see how people react because we want to know what they think and we're being nosy or are we genuinely upset about something and looking for someone to commiserate so we don't feel alone just what are what the heck are we doing um when when we're you know when we're doing that like who wants to you know debate abortion over christmas dinner really you know so i'm just wondering you know why why this is happening so much Mm. Well, and that seems like that's that that's a really interesting point because it, we're in the era of the activist, the activist advocate. When you see the young people, um, young adults are being trained that way. I don't know about kids, but I know from my recent experience with higher education that that's very much a part of the training is you must become oh. an activist. And so yeah. that means that you're bringing your activism, you're putting the cause, whatever the cause is social justice or environmentalism or whatever it is in front and center and you're trying to influence other people at all times so it's this really busybody pushy sort of pattern that you're that you're performing so your unsuspecting grandma at thanksgiving is going to be treated to a dose of critical social justice over a turkey leg. It's lovely. Right. And even if you're not being trained that way, but then you're seeing that you kind of become, it's the, it's that same. It's really difficult to resist. You, you fall into equals and opposites. And so if somebody's pushing their, so you, you're aware of the social justice activism out there. Do you, how do you resist becoming an anti-social justice activist or whatever it is? You know, how do you resist in feeling the need to go out and inform people about this problem. So are you performing that on one side or the other? Are you falling into that process? Yeah. 
Interesting. And then when we all spend all this time talking and thinking about these things, it's hard not to have that be the thing that you bring back to your, your close discussion, your, your family discussions. Yeah. Cause my family asked like, what are you, what's new? Right. <laughs> like I spent almost all my time thinking about these things and conversing with people in the sport groups and here, and like, it's, it's not my job, but it, you know what I mean? It occupies me to that extent. So if I'm going to be just revealing about how am I spending my time? it does touch on these things. Um, so it's, it's, it's hard to sort of sidestep it because it's, it's a huge piece of what I'm up to. Mm. Interesting. In the chat, let's see, we had some good suggestions. Point curation says, hi, hello. Uh, PA 62 guy says definitely, definitely weird, but on balance, I'll take bits and pieces over nothing. That said, no phones at any table where I have sway. I think that was all in in regard to that, the way we interact with our technology around people. I like that. No phones at the table. And that's a good idea. Yeah, we, we don't do that. That's good. We don't have yeah. them there. Thank God. <laughs> Running Bear says, oftentimes the host at a Thanksgiving gathering will require a gag order on political talk. There can even be a caution word if someone is crossing or about to cross the line. All attendees must adhere to the rule. It's often fun. And then also makes the point, uh, too often these discussions come from people how, uh, let's see, people who feel like they have to win rather than just have a friendly dialogue, I think is the point there. Yeah, there's that, there's that pushiness. It's, um, it's different, for sure. What were Thanksgivings and Christmases like for you as a kid? Wonderful for the most part, <laughs> really nice, no political stuff and, um, tons of amazing food and, uh, tons of gifts too. <laughs> my mom, <would> go all, <laughs> my mom went all out every Christmas. It was really, uh, really the bomb. And, um, yeah, I've always loved the holidays. Mm -hmm. Did family come from around the area just locally or from out of state um, or did you visit family out of state? No, not really. It would just be my parents and myself and my sister. And then when my sister got older, she would, um, we're eight years apart. She would come home for the holidays or sometimes we would go to her place. So yeah, I've just always been the immediate family. My mom was from England. So all of her, her side of the family was um, in England and my dad was an only child. So I don't really have a bunch of extended family in the U.S. Mm. How about you, Deborah? Um, the holidays are pretty festive. My mom likes to, it's, I think we don't even care as much as it's special as she does. So she definitely wants like the sort of spirit and the decorations and all the little, like we even had a little handle with like a little turkey thing in the front. I mean, you know, like the right, gourds uh -huh. <laughs> i don't know if we appreciate any of the things as much as she does in terms of making it nice we actually we were a family though that was very on the one side talk politics a lot but it was very you know democrat liberal and everybody agreed mm -hmm. so there wasn't there were nobody was arguing about everything everybody was like agreeing but being animated mm -hmm. about it mm -hmm. um and so i didn't mind that because it wasn't necessarily strife <laughs> 
but those were the topics. I mean, that was, you know, whatever was going on and whoever, whoever was campaigning for or something like that, those damn Republicans, you know, that was a, those, you know, that was like a common <laughs> phrase. So I grew up in that. <laughs> yeah. But we didn't, yeah, we didn't have stress around it though. So mm -hmm. the, the, around the, the political discussions and stuff. No, it was just, I, I just sort of felt like that's what people talk about and, mm -hmm. you know, but nobody was fighting. In the chat, the finisher says media used to be one news source. Now there are multiple silos creating division. Back in the day, it was the evening news that everyone experienced. And that reminds me of when you were saying different information universes, which I thought was a really interesting way to put that. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's very clear. I have other sources of information. Which I would yeah. argue seems like uh, that might be a good thing, you know, so there's more opportunity to nudge and direct people if they're all paying attention to the same guide and so people have more opportunity to to make their own minds up about things if there's more information sources so on that's my automatic thought about that but but then when we talk about all the cultural division perhaps not perhaps there are some downsides to that as well well i don't find anyone's interested in my family to look at other sources of information mm -hmm. so it, it's just kind of discounted um so like it doesn't matter that I, I you know I know what theirs are like I'm mm -hmm. aware of that I used to be in that universe so it's just yeah I I am always surprised at the I can understand though there's probably a I try to think about it and get in their shoes there's a certain just time and energy you know cognitive load um mm -hmm. just like more stuff to process. My mom made a comment too. It was interesting. I wasn't sure what she was driving at, but she said, well, who really, I would talk about, I listened to podcasts and she goes, well, who really knows anything anyway? And I thought, well, do you think your people you listen to know anything anyway? Like I, I didn't probe, but mm -hmm. I just thought that was an interesting, an interesting take um, about, uh, I mean, I guess, yeah, I, you could say that about probably anything at this point. Um, it is but, interesting yeah. that we've gone into infotainment, you know, the way that we got gobble information up as a form of entertainment. It's like we're there's such an outward focus in that regard. This is something that I think uh, I think the Jordan Peterson clean your room meme is kind of a, a brilliant encapsulation of this issue. I think that he really called attention to that in a neat and tidy way. <laughs> no pun intended, but um, the the idea that you focus on the things that are close to your life, focus on doing those things well, and stop putting so much of your energy out into um, into the things that you can't control that are outside of your actual sphere of influence. But yeah. when you're when you're constantly taking in information as a way to just function in your life you're taking in things from way outside and you're not putting into much action things that 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 you can actually affect change within and and you're not developing yourself in a way that really develops you as a person in an intimate sphere very true i think that's kind of happened a bit um to me in the last few years of my life, I got very, you know, obviously I've been extremely uh, concerned about the social phenomenon of wokeness and really focusing on that, especially after my own kind of traumatic experience with that at work. And um, 
I've noticed that I stopped doing some of the things that I really enjoyed. Like I used to art journal mm. and write, write poetry. And I have not been, and you know, I feel like that was at least creating something um, beautiful. And it's also a really rewarding process. And I stopped that because I've been so focused on things outside of myself. Mm -hmm. Is it like that for you as well, Deborah? Do you hold on to your hobbies and your crafts or? Um, I I don't know if I'd been doing many even before all, I, I, I often wonder, do I have enough fun? I don't think I have enough fun. Um, <laughs> so, so I don't know. I don't know if I left too much at the wayside, to be honest. Um, it's more trying to figure out what can I do to at least add back something that isn't this. In fact, it's interesting you said about art journaling or drawing or anything like that. I actually signed up for a class. I think it's in a couple of weeks. That's like this monthly thing where I don't even know if they teach you anything, but it's a bunch of people coming together to do art. So I'm going to a drawing related thing. Um, I do need to get myself out more on other, because I'll tend to even go to events that are on topics related to all these things we talk about here. So I'm actually going to one tonight. It's just really different. It's Reason Magazine is having it, but it's on it's on Bitcoin and the possibility that it can generate energy, because it uses so much energy that it can generate energy that can be used for something else. So someone's created like a spa bathhouse that they use the heat from the computers that generate the Bitcoin to heat the water for the spa. And so wow, <laughs> I'm going to that just because I'm like, well, that's different. And that's I don't know cool. what type of Holy crap. Will be at this event, right? Like who, who's thinking of stuff like that? So, <laughs> wow. so that might not be so political. You know, I, I do, I do need to get out to more um, things that are of not that, not of that nature. Um, but no, mm -hmm. I haven't, I never been, it's funny. My sister's the creative one and I've never thought I had that much like, generative capacity that way except maybe doing acting classes I haven't done that in a long time so I, it's one of these things like same thing I should be not using the phone as much I should be doing well, I'm not should it would be good for me mm -hmm. <laughs> to be doing more creative activities and not sitting on Twitter all day um, mm -hmm. these would be good practices mm -hmm. for me mm -hmm. hello to the clue channel in the chat and then uh Z Apatafa, I hope I said your name right there. I feel that social media has high schoolified adulthood. Adulthood in my younger years was a relief to escape the clickishness of high school. With the prevalence of social media, I feel it's forcing us all back into the high school mindset. Mm. And then Jen says hi. Hi, Jen. Nice to have you here. Yeah, that's interesting. The high school. I love that. Yeah. What do you think? That is so true. Yes. Because it's like, you don't get any break from this kind of, I don't know, kind of, there is a high schooly competitive one upmanship feel to a lot of social media. And I don't think it's good for our brains because I, I just think we need to be kind of each person has to run their own race and be in their own life. And I think getting constant input from other people and their lives, it's just like this, it's, it's a mental bombardment. Mm -hmm. and, and the popularity aspect of it, like nobody oh, liked yeah. my post. Maybe I, nobody right. likes me. Yeah. Nobody likes me, right. but this, how come this person got all this on their posts and, uh, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also don't know the extent to which it's, it may just be that there's younger people in general reading publications, but I've been particularly struck by how much, how dumbed down Harvard Business Review has become. And I'll see their tweets for their articles. And they're sort of like, it's almost as though it says, how do you know your boss likes you? Or, um, I mean, it sounds like a teen magazine. Most of the articles in Harvard Business Review are like these weird, like, uh, I wish I could find, I don't have it handy, but there there was probably one, how do you know your boss likes you? Like they really are on this level of some sort of emotional, social, they're nothing about how to have strategy or if you're a global, whatever, dealing with geopolitical. No, it's like all the things that they have in Twitter, at least, maybe they have other content that has substance is like a teen magazine, mm. you know? And so I don't know, I, I don't know if the medium is pulling down the thing or there's just because there's more of these Gen Z people in the workplace and they're, they seem to be having these adolescent needs still into adulthood. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and how much of social media is driving the development of personality disorders? Because it does seem that narcissism is really on the rise. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's that self-focus, that inward focus and creating anxieties around how you're perceived is just one way to do that. But social media does that in spades. Yeah. The cultivation of the avatar. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting. Another event I'm going to tomorrow night, Braver Angels is hosting and it's on identities, forming identities and your political identity. And I got asked to attend and I thought, I don't know if I care to go because I think I'm too old. Like, I don't give a shit about (laughs) all my identities. I don't even think that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but the woman hosting, it seems interesting. And I was sort of invited, well, you could bring an interesting perspective <laughs> mm. <laughs> because I could talk to these younger people who are all fixated about it and go, I don't know that you need it. You mm-hmm. know? <laughs> so, cause it is like, I, we, you know, we weren't, we didn't grow up in the time of Twitter or having your bio and what are the couple of words you can cram in there that are signaling mm-hmm. something. I mean, I just go around like a person. (laughs) Identities, that concept and that whole, the whole identity ideology that we have right now, intersectional, social justice, whatever you want to call it. That was the, that was the thing I really strongly balked against in that, that civility pledge my graduate school wanted me to sign. It was something about, um, I can't remember the wording. It's like, something about being aware of my privileged and marginalized identities. And I was like, I cannot sign that because this is crazy. I'm not identities. I'm not identities. I refuse to think about myself that way. And I refuse to put that on other people as a counselor. I'm not, I'm not pushing this forward. We don't have identities. We're you that's, that's disintegrating a person and it's encouraging narcissism. Absolutely. Encouraging narcissism, victimhood, resentment, a sense of, I think, um, helplessness or unnecessary guilt as yeah, disaster. It also strikes me as being sort of like the, um, uh, it's kind of a embodiment of spiritual ignorance, Because, you know, in the spiritual path, you're really trying not to be um, so kind of building up this false sense of self, 
Mm-hmm. And to me, that's, that's what this is. And it's taking this thing that's very temporary and fleeting, you know, which is, you know, your race and all of that. I mean, okay, that's for this one particular lifetime and making this monument out of it. Mm. Wow. That's yeah. really, really insightful. Deborah, yeah, it's just... yeah. Someone else is, I forget if it was Jonathan Heider who said like, if you, if you basically have a self, you don't need identities. Like ident- having identities is because you don't have a sense of a self. Like that's, there's some problem there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I often think of it as whenever we first got this identity business, all I kept thinking was, I don't know if you guys had that when you were little, do you ever have color forms? You know, there's like those little plastic clothes. It's like a little, like everything's 2D. Mm. It's like mm. flat. And then you, you have your character and then there's outfits you could put them on. They're made out of like plastic and you could like, oh, now I can put a raincoat on her. Yeah, or, I think oh, so. Now I can put a purse on her hand or something. And I just feel like these uh-huh. identities always feel like we're sticking like color form outfits on and it's all flat. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's plastic. That's so interesting. Yeah. And I, you know, this kind of gets into the whole trauma discourse as well. You know, we talk about trauma so much and there are, that's, and I'm not, I know I don't say this to dismiss the painful things that people go through because there are so many really horrible things that people experience in their lives. But if you look at religious um, teachings or spiritual guidance around, around how to deal with the suffering of life, you see that life is suffering life is there's so much suffering in life and and the challenge is to live well in spite of suffering and and find peace and find something transcend the suffering and yet what we have right now is a is a deep focus on the suffering and not just through social justice ideology and identities of oppression and oppressor and whatnot that want you to explicitly focus on that but also through the way that we talk about mental health and it's this coddling of the trauma. It's this like highlighting and elevating of the trauma so that that becomes a central part of how you experience the world is through that. So it's almost a glorification of the thing that we're supposed to, if if you look at the, the flip side, if you take that spiritual path, you're supposed to be transcending that and finding yourself in spite of it. But this is finding yourself through it. Yeah. It's the opposite of transcendent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're reshaping your whole world around the wound, right? Which is common. I mean, it's not like, oh, why are people doing that? That is, but like the work should be to unorganize around that. Um, mm-hmm. hold, hold that. But mm-hmm. like, where is something in yourself that is transcendent or whatever? Or where's their health in you that's the thing that's holding the wounded aspect but it's just like the whole society is reinforcing the wound as identity mm-hmm. and the organizational principle and then they were silent and they thought about it <laughs> i'm thinking about sort of like the um the illusion of separateness and i would say that you know in a relative sense we're all separate beings with our boundaries that are necessary, but in an absolute sense, I think we're sort of, um, depending on how you want to language it, uh, we're all interdependent or we're all a manifestation of the one consciousness. 
And so to me, this stuff, it's not just divisive on the level of, you know, getting us to argue over Thanksgiving dinner. It's divisive in the sense of cutting ourselves off from the truth of who we are, which to me is just kind of part of everything and part of each other. So it's, I think, leading to um, spiritual sleep and spiritual ignorance and ignorance of our true nature, which we've got enough of that without trying to add more, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really well said. And this you as we're talking about this and then I'm I always really love how you sit right underneath of that picture and the tree is generating from your head. <laughs> it it makes me think of this this uh have you heard this this Ram Das quote around trees? Mm, tell me. Okay, I'll I'll read it. It says When you go out into the woods and you look at trees, you see all these different trees. And some of them are bent and some of them are straight and some of them are evergreen and some of them are whatever. And you look at the tree and you allow it, you appreciate it. You see why it is the way it is. You sort of understand that it didn't get enough light. So it turned that way and you don't get all emotional about it. You just allow it. You appreciate the tree. The minute you get near humans, you lose all that. And you're constantly saying you're to this, or I'm to this, that judging mind comes in. And so I practice turning people into trees, which means appreciating them just the way they are. Mm, beautiful yeah I really like that and I like that around the idea of trauma or suffering and how it shapes us and it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be something that you can turn into it you can like you said Deborah you can create something around that shape and that can be beautiful in a way if you allow it it doesn't mean that the thing that happened was beautiful but you can make something beautiful of yourself despite and even from that yeah well said and then they were silent and reflected some more yeah <laughs> we had a, we had a group last night that we had there was some we did the sunday group and there was like some really kind of profound things and there were these silences and it was so interesting because i was kind of hanging out and i was like are people going to be able to handle this for being quiet for a while? Or am I going to jump in? Or is someone going to jump in to save the thing? Like, <laughs> or can we kind of hang, you know, and we, we, we kind of did both. People mm -hmm. sat in silence for a bit. You have a lot of active social time. I'm so impressed with that. I, I really love how engaged you are with, with things going on in your community. Mm -hmm. Well, again, it's like being single and not knowing that many people. I just get, you know, I, I've got to like get out and you know, try to get involved and try, basically try to make friends. Mm -hmm. Can I make some friends? Yeah. I moved here right before the pandemic. And so it was, and then with that, it was just hard to even figure mm. out like, how am I going to find? Yeah. Community? The energy there is so big. I was really overwhelmed by it when I was there in October. New York it is. City. There's just a lot. You're just mm -hmm. like, I lived in Boulder, Colorado before, and that was a town where you could just walk down the main street and bump into people who knew you, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and go to, the, you go to Whole Foods and you're caught there for a half hour because you're chatting with somebody. So it's mm -hmm. like, I was much more used to, I wasn't a big fish, but I was a, a, a fish in a pond that could be spotted, mm -hmm. you know, and here it's like, 
you know, I actually saw someone I knew at an event the other, like last week, and I was just so shocked. <laughs> yeah. Have you lived in a lot of big cities? San Francisco and here. Mm. Yes, primarily. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, it's, 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 it's harder. It's a trade-off. Yeah. Um, there's more stimulation here, but yeah, there's a sense of like, there's a jillion people and I don't know any of them. <laughs> there's also so much opportunity though. There's like, there's always these interesting events for you to go to. And I, I just think New York is so, I mean, it is not, it's not for me. I I need a lot of like kind of low stimulation and a lot of time in nature, but in terms of socially, I think it can be just remarkable i remember one yeah one night there was i had to go to a braver angels thing but then someone had said well coleman hughes is having this event like in an apartment and it's private and you could go and then someone else said this other really interesting thing it was all the same night you know and talk about fomo it was like so you could have, you have a, lot of, a lot of fomo here if you if you know what's going on and i thought oh like don't just you're going to the thing you're going to you know don't even get into that mindset that's not in any way useful um that's not it's not always like that I don't have a, a ton of things going on but um that was a funny one because then I could see myself going Coleman Hughes I could be in a small gathering with interesting people. oh my gosh no. yeah those opportunities <laughs> those opportunities are not coming up in the suburbs let me just say that <laughs> it's not happening but I do I do I I like trees which is why I have a tree behind me so <laughs> yeah I mean I have the park I the park. It's close. <laughs> well, the chat is getting fresh. Jody Shaw is in there telling us that we're hot. So thanks, Jody. <laughs> Should I show a little more shoulder? There we go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that would we'll let Jody comment on that. And uh, the finisher says, true joy, creation, earth connection. Trauma is constantly on topic. But hey, to be honest, life is trauma. If you hyper focus on it, the current solution to it is consumerism and narcissistic self-focus. Mm. And the finisher says the self over community. I think that's interesting. This is a thing I, I've been kind of chewing on because I felt like the collectivist focus of the social justice movement was really disturbing to me because it flattens people down to their group identity, to being a representative of something for a group and you lose the individual. And then someone else was talking about the individual versus the collective versus the universal. And I've really been resonating with the idea of the individual and the universal and, mm. and the collective as kind of a byproduct of those two. I, I don't really know how to frame that yet, but this has been the thing I've been chewing on for a bit. What I kind of think we're doing is just like with a couple, like if you have a couple and neither person is really that well individuated, it's not gonna be as good, but it, wow, if you had really individual, individuated people who are also deeply in relationship like that's really so I feel like we're maybe learning like how can we really be individuated and come together in groups where people are not being mushed out <laughs> that's, that's a technical term mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and, and yet and yet we get we can have community you know mm -hmm. and like what is that not community necessarily by a group type name or something like that but um, that there's something that's more than just a bunch of individuals, um, but that people are not required to lose their distinctiveness. And we take into account um, like sovereignty, but we can somehow form into something. I feel, I feel like it's like a yeah. developmental thing we're kind of all going through as a society. 
there's something with couples i i think about the couple as being this person this other person and then a third entity which is the relationship you know it's almost yeah. an entity in and of itself it's like if you don't both put everything into nourishing that it's, right. it's not going to be healthy it's going to be malnourished so it's got to be treated it's not the two people overlapping each other it's the two people both pouring their care into a third thing that's exactly what Joseph Campbell used to talk about. And he said that in a relationship you sacrifice and it's not about your sacri- you're always sacrificing to this other person. You're sacrificing to the relationship because it's the thing that you both wish to build. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's a way of extending that thought to the idea of the collective. Well, I think Jordan Peterson's been speaking about that when he, what does he talk about? Is it, it's not sovereignty. It's, He's got this sense of like, start, like you said, with yourself and then make some commitments to like another, have a family unit, and then maybe you can go to a next, your town, what is Mm. it called? Subsidiarity. That's what he kind of calls it. And it's Mm. like, there's these increasing levels of where you might contribute. Maybe he might call it contribute. I don't, or maybe call, I don't know if he calls it sacrifice. I don't know what, but Mm. so, but starting at the most, the closest in, and then, you know, working up um, to be engaged at increasingly i don't know if they're more remote but higher whatever you want to call it levels where you're 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 somehow offering something for the benefit of others without you know not so we have to think about sacrifice like not some sort of sacrifice that's actually necessarily harmful but might actually be good for you to be Hmm. doing Hmm. that's really nice it's a nice thought Hmm. it's been an interesting chat. We kind of rambled on around holidays and family and then it meandered into spirituality and individualism. And so it's been, <laughs> it's been a good chat. Thank you both. Oh, thank you. thank you. Thank you to everyone in the chat today as well. And to Jody for pumping up our egos <laughs> by complimenting our hotness. I feel really hot now. <laughs> I feel sexy. (laughs) As you should, Jennifer. (laughs) All right, y'all. Have a great week. Okay, you too. All right.